0: Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, hey yeah uh, and previet hockey fans. Welcome back to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Hayden, or Oddman Rush, as you can see right up there, and joining me once again after our two-week, two-a-week-or-so-long hiatus is, of course, my fellow co-host Chris Gadsby. ya hey, Chris.
1: Hello, hello! I'm impressed that you got uh, the intro correct after the time
0: away. Not gonna lie, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought you know what, uh, th- this might not go very well, but I'm gonna give it a try regardless. And I, I didn't even look at my notes because I have it written down, like on my iPad next to me. Didn't even need to look at it, so I thought you know what, I'm, I'm doing all right here. But yeah, Chris, it's been about two weeks since we properly sat down and talked hockey. How you doing, Bert? It has.
1: We've had what Christmas and New Year, and we're now in lockdown 3.0 or whatever. Yeah. Have- I mean, I kind of tier four kind of felt like lockdown three for me.
0: This feels like lockdown four, pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of like every single week they're putting up another number in the list and being like, "Oh, uh, in about three weeks' time, we're going to be in like tier fourteen, and you're not allowed to, you know, breathe unless you have a substantial meal with it." Or Uh, yeah, I've
1: been seeing. I've been seeing like, things going around, like pictures of Boris Johnson with boxing gloves on, saying this is Boris Johnson in tier eight when you try and put the bins out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it changes so quickly. Like it was what, on Monday, he did press interviews saying we're going to keep schools open. Then on yeah. Tuesday, he said national lockdown, shut all the schools. So
0: yeah so Great,
1: thanks and then parents yeah. and teachers around the country had like four hours to suddenly prepare for homeschooling
0: yep so basically um the uk we've got like three different strains of the virus here now i think something like that um all the other yeah, countries I around the world, south
1: africa one's taken uh, yeah taken hold but we've so, definitely got two
0: yes and all the countries in the world don't want to see us anymore um we've also had brexit go through so that's great so now europe doesn't really want anything to do with us either so 2021 is off to a great start for our homeland um but regardless um rather than sit here and get down about how terrible the uh (laughs) the political situation is in this country whether you fall on one side or the other i really don't care um let's talk about something a little bit more interesting a little bit more topical um chris and i sat there a couple days ago and thought we could carry on with you know the usual format looking at the scores and standings from around europe and everything like that however we figured we'd pick that back up next week because you know a lot of uh, leagues around uh, europe very similar to us took a break over the christmas and new year period or they were decided to use that as a good opportunity to kind of flush the virus out of their respective leagues and their respective systems for a couple of weeks and go, we'll start back in the new year. So instead, we are going to talk about the World Junior Championships 2021 in uh, Edmonton. It was supposed to be in Red Deer as well, but it was in Edmonton completely, pretty much, I think. So obviously, there are a lot of European teams that were there at the tournament. So we figured let's talk about the World Junior Championships instead. So Chris, obviously, we're going to talk a lot in detail about the specifics and the teams that did well and specific players and specific games that kind of caught our eye. Obviously, it was difficult for us to watch a lot of the games because it was a seven hour, eight hour time difference between us and Edmonton. So it wasn't ideal. I managed to catch a few games. I managed to catch a handful of games in the group stages. Because um, for context, most of them started at 11pm or 2.30 in the morning here. So I can imagine it was ridiculous for European, like Central European and kind of Russian fans from all over the continent. But based on kind of the response that you've seen, based on the highlights that you might seen what was your kind of overall response to the way that the tournament was set up? Do you think it was a success? Do you think things went well given the whole global situation surrounding it? And what did you think about the results that we saw? And spoiler alert: USA won the gold medal. What do you think about all of that? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think it was a good tournament on the whole. Yeah, I, I didn't see uh, kind of any of the games live. My uh, my viewing was all watching the highlights really because um, I've still, you know, I've got my my well, what well, seems to be eight to four jobs, that can't really stay up, and, uh, <laughs> up at two in the morning to watch, you know, Slovakia, Switzerland. But yeah. um yeah, uh, it was a it got off to a bit of a rocky start, I thought. Like when we were um just before we finished up before our Christmas break and they were going through their, you know, they'd ended up in the bubbles and I think it was was it Sweden and Germany had got put on the same commercial flight and then there were positive tests in their camps yeah so their pre-tournament games got disrupted and everyone had to kind of shift about and Germany were meant to play America and then they couldn't because they were all in quarantines. So then America played somebody else and and bits and pieces like that and I thought oh is this you know is this going to go kind of how we want it to or is the, is the virus going to start taking over um but that seemed to get out of the system early on because they they were hot on with the isolations and the and the testing, which is something that um, so they learned from the NHL playoffs, and they had the funding to do, which we you, you don't obviously have in a, in a lot of the domestic leagues, which is why we're seeing all these postponements and and things flaring up. But um, I think on the whole, it was a good tournament. There were some surprising results in there, ones I didn't see coming, um, ones where you know I there was like ten minutes to go in the third or something, and I looked at my phone and and checked flash scores and went. That's the result that's kind of what I was expecting so we'll see them in the next round and then I check you know half an hour later and it's just gone completely the other way and I was like oh okay <laughs> uh, that's kind of that's kind of messed my thinking up as the way this was going to go um but I mean you know we're, we're gonna get into details in, in things uh, later on about talking points and all the rest of it but I think on the whole we had a good tournament um, we expected. Canada and USA to go deep and they did we expected Russia to go deep and they did um and we expected you know Austria and Switzerland to be at the bottom and they were so it kind of went a lot in the way of how kind of I expected it to go particularly I mean you see it all the time when you have tournaments like this is you have the teams that you know are going to be at the top and the teams that you know are going to be at the bottom um and it kind of went that way for for the most part I think it became much more interesting in the playoffs, um, as you would expect, again, because then you get in the top teams and you're not getting, you know, 11 nil, 16-2, whatever that, that final score was. I think it was 16-2. Yes. Um, you know, coming through. And, uh, you know, congratulations, as you said, to uh, to the USA, <laughs> who, uh, yeah, having seen the, the goals in the final, in my, in my opinion, they did get a little bit lucky. But it doesn't matter how they go in, they all count
0: definitely um i I think uh touching on what you said at the beginning of that i I think there was a lot of um concern and i and and rightly so I think with a lot of the the kind of stuff we were hearing from some of the respective teams like you mentioned uh sweden couldn't send a load of their a certain number of their players because they're tested positive canada had some issues where they had to send a, a group of players home because they're tested positive for covid and all of that stuff and then obviously germany had their fair share of issues with it when once the tournament had begun there, there's a lot of discussion whether certain teams took their the kind of containment and keeping the players safe as seriously as they could have we're not particularly going to go into that here i I think the important thing to mention is and the thing that should be um commended is the fact that all of the teams and all of the people in charge of running the event did a great job once all of the teams were actually there in edmonton in their respective bubble or in their bubbles or whatever it was as we saw from the ihf i'm pretty sure they reported every single time after the first few days where there were no positive tests the players seemed to take it very seriously once they were in the bubble. They knew that if they didn't take it seriously, there'd be the possibility of them either not being not going as deep into the tournament as they possibly could, or even being sent home from the team because they might have broken team rules or tournament rules, etc., etc. I think overall, regardless of the results and who won and who got the medals and everything, the tournament itself was a resounding success. Like, let, let's be perfectly honest here. The all the teams that got to the tournament, stayed relatively healthy, or they may have been, had had some issues with it early on, but as the tournament went on, things got a lot better and everything kind of settled down and they could go through the motions. I, I feel like the week or so before, and we even talked about this on some of our episodes before the tournament began, we were kind of like, oh, is this a good idea to keep going ahead? There is a lot of issues here. However, once all the teams were in the bubbles and we were seeing uh, consistently negative results, there were a lot of I feel like everybody kind of breathed a sigh of relief and went, okay, we can actually focus on the hockey as opposed to the uh, the medical situations behind it, the social situations behind it, even, even some people, maybe the political situations behind it. It's kind of like, let's focus on the actual tournament at hand and see what's going on. And I'm glad that you mentioned the kind of big blowout losses because let's be perfectly honest, this tournament was a very unique tournament in a lot of ways. Obviously, no fans in attendance, lots of testing, uh, bubble all of this situation, but also the fact that a lot of these teams, and it's not an excuse, but a lot of these teams weren't necessarily at full strength because they couldn't take certain players with them, or there are certain players that had issues with suspensions. I mean, suspensions, that's kind of, you're at the tournament, that's kind of on you more than anything. But I just want to bring up here, I'm going to bring up the uh, schedule from pretty much the entirety of the World Junior Championships here. And there's a few games that I want to highlight. Um, First of all, the one that Chris mentioned, the 16-2 loss for Germany against Team Canada. Um, Next to that, you can't quite see it on the screen because of how I've got things set up, but the USA later that day beat Austria 11-0. Then you had... Um, Canada beat Switzerland 10-0. So there's three different group games in this tournament where there were double digits goals scored by one team. And, I mean, you also had your fair share of 7-1. You had 7-0. You had 7-1 again. 6-0. 7-0. So there was a lot of games that were well and truly blowout games, let's be perfectly honest. So, Chris, obviously there was a lot of talk about this, especially when Germany were defeated 16-2. Do you think that there is any... That there's any kind of incentive to reduce the number of teams participating in the world junior championships because there were eight teams as far as i'm aware competing in the world junior championships this year i can just bring up the standings there were (laughs) 10 sorry excuse me there were 10 but then eight went through to the playoffs is that correct yeah yeah that's why that's where i got mistaken so there's 10 different teams that made it and to be perfectly honest like chris mentioned switzerland uh Switzerland, Austria, and Germany for the first half of the tournament really struggled to kind of get their foothold in this competition. Do you think that there's some merit behind reducing the number of teams? Do you think that the IHF should maybe consider not having as many placeholder teams? Do you think this is more of a unique situation because there's a lot of other factors going into it? I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Chris. Go for it. Um, the, the problem I have if you reduce it is...
1: If you reduce it down to say, let's say eight, I mean you've got to realistically reduce it to an even number, yeah. unless you do um, similar to the Olympics, which I believe is what the Olympics do, which is you have you have one big group with a round robin, and then you have the playoffs off that.
0: Yeah, something. Um, like
1: that. So you take it down to like seven, and then you play six games in the group, and then the top four go semi-finals, final, or whatever. Um, I mean, if you look at this year, you've got Switzerland and you've got Austria who lost all of their games, um, conceding what 20 goals and 29 goals. I mean Austria they only scored one goal. yeah um, the problem I think I, I find if you take it if you take it down to eight teams or something, I think you're just always going to have this to be honest, because I think the gap between the top teams and the bottom like, you know, you're always going to have Canada, America, Russia, Sweden, those four teams are always going to have such stacked rosters in the juniors because they're such, you know, great hockey nations, you know, Finland in there as well. Yeah, definitely add Finland in there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you've got,
1: you know, five out of those 10 teams, you've got five teams, which are such dominant hockey nations, like they are, you know, significantly above the rest of the nations there in terms of draft picks, in terms of calibre of players and all the rest of it. So if you take it down to, say, eight teams, then you've only got, you know, one, whoever's in the group with the three dominant teams has probably never got a chance. Yeah. And in the other group, you've got two teams that are still good teams, but not at that level, where it seems to just come down to a game between those, yeah. So it, it's a difficult one because, yeah, it's it's like when you have the football and, and the and the qualifying tournaments for the football because they do it in such a way that obviously it's on a much lesser scale here, but they do it in such a way that the top teams have an easier route to the final, so they don't get drawn in groups with each other, yeah. Which means you end up, and I think it's, I can't remember exactly what the, but you've got England who are like in the top 10 in the world. And we've got San Marino, who are a team made up of builders and plasterers, if I remember right. Something like that. Normally it's like 9-0. Yep. You've got the likes of Montenegro, and I think the other half... I think the other half decent team might be something like Bulgaria. Mm. And you kind of look at all those and you go, yeah, okay, England, you know, they're going to win most of those matches and they're going to make it. And it's the same thing here, you know, Canada. You look at it and you go, Canada against Slovakia? Yeah, they're going to win that. Canada against Germany? Yeah, they're going to win that. And so I don't know until hockey becomes a much wider sport and there are so many more people and the caliber is just gets ridiculously high, a bit like football. Mm. I think you're always going to have these games where even at the top tier, your elite nations, the, you know, the five that I've, m- I've mentioned before, are always going to be so much better than the rest. I mean, you look at Canada, they scored 33 goals in four games. That's an average of eight a game.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I think it's one of those situations where I don't think they should limit the number of teams similar to you. Now, I would point out that for example, the, the Team Great Britain squad in the World Championships that takes place, you know, during the spring, um, we're usually the team that's kind of considered, um, is arguably the team that shouldn't be in the competition. You know, like last year we won one game against France and that kept us in the tournament. And a lot of people, especially from North America and maybe even of the Scandinavian countries would argue, what is a team like Great Britain doing here? They get completely destroyed by all the big nations. Kind of basically we're the Austria not, not to like the extent that Austria, that uh, the Austria got beaten in the, this tournament, but I feel like Germany is, uh, especially in this tournament, the German team is such a fascinating example of why I don't think you should limit the number of teams because Germany over the last few years, especially with guys like Leon Dreiseitel you've got Moritz Seider coming through, you've got Tim Stutzler, obviously who was on this team um, at the World Junior Championships, you've got some very solid German players coming through. They're kind of trickling through. The, the NHL system, the international stage. They're not necessarily a big hockey powerhouse, but within the next sort of five, ten years, if things keep going the way they're going, at the World Championships, the German team could be a pretty formidable force with some very strong hockey players on that team and could maybe even win a gold medal or two for themselves if they manage to kind of round out the rest of their roster with some solid players. But At this tournament, the context... So they lost 16-2 against Germany, right? It was a terrible game for the Germans. It 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 was shockingly bad for them, and it was a great game for the Canadians. And it came to a point where I think everybody other than some Canadian fans were kind of like, can we, like, stop this? This isn't fun to watch anymore. Like, it's sad because this team is getting absolutely bludgeoned and there's nothing they can do about it. But at the same time, they were dealing with a load of COVID cases on their team, Um, they had the option, supposedly, according to the commentators on the TSN um, uh, live stream, um, they had the option to um, postpone one of their games and get some of their players back and healthy again. But Germany decided not to because they had Finland and Canada to play in the first two games. Then I think they had... Then they had Slovakia and Switzerland as their final two games. They decided, you know what, if we want to make it to the playoffs, let's just take our lumps against these first two teams come back healthy. They also got an extra day's worth of rest by not postponing their games. I think that um, game would have been put on the day that they had, they had an extra day of rest or something like that. And then they could come back against Slovakia and Switzerland, hopefully win those two games and go through to the playoffs, which is ultimately what happened. I mean, Tim Stutzler got named the best forward at the tournament, as far as I'm aware, uh, 10 points in in the tournament for him, on a team that Germany for the first time in their nation's history made uh, uh, earned a playoff berth at the World Junior Championship. So they gone they went from having such a terrible start to the tournament, basically being embarrassed on an international stage 16 to 2, one of if not well it's I think it was uh, arguably one of the biggest uh, wins by Canada but it wasn't. I think it was like second or third on the list, something like that. And Germany had such a terrible start but they managed to make it through to the playoffs. Yeah, they didn't get very far but they managed to do better than a lot of other teams or several other teams in the tournament and managed to kind of rise from the ashes and get two wins in the tournament. Like, I feel like that's a great example of going, this this is the exact reason why you need to have some of those, for want of a better term, lesser nations or weaker nations in the tournament. Yeah, Austria got completely destroyed. Like, th- I don't think anybody who knows or has a decent understanding of international hockey and kind of how the structure works, I think most people were expecting Austria to get bludgeoned by the bigger teams, which they did. I mean, I I actually wanted to give a huge shout-out to the netminder of the Austrian team. I want to pronounce his name properly, but it's been a while since I heard it now. Um, Sebastian uh, Ranscheitz? Uh, Warencheitz? Something like that. Warencheitz? Something like that. He supposedly played three games in the tournament. I'm not sure if there was any... um him being pulled midway through the game, so then it counted towards the other goalie being the game played, something like that. You know, like, it's a little bit confusing how the game's played. But throughout the tournament, he had 194 shots against. 194 shots. He was an absolute workhorse in that net, and yeah, he allowed a ton of goals, but what an incredible performance for a guy from a nation that... For what, well, let's be perfectly honest, they didn't stand a chance of winning this tournament. And it's kind of those little stories like, you never know, a performance like that might get him drafted to an NHL team and give him a chance to potentially make the NHL one day all because he did the best he could in a bad situation what are your thoughts on all of that Chris? I've been rambling for a little while but you know <laughs> it's just kind of like when you see how Germany finished the tournament and you see a guy like uh, uh, the Austrian netminder having to face so many shots and barely getting any f- help in front of him it, it just goes to show you that there can be these other little storylines that go through the tournament and, and it keeps it interesting as opposed to oh the top five teams are still really great and they won all of their games and it's fun you know what do you think?
1: Yeah, it does a bit. Um, I'll, I'll jump back to to Germany first, and it is an important point to mention that I mean, you mentioned it right at the start of the podcast, in that it took them ages to get going in this tournament. Mm. But then, like as you, we know, we had, they had all the all the virus problems, and then their first two games were Finland, and Canada. They lost them both, but then they came out. They got the overtime victory against uh, Slovakia after having been neck and neck for. Most of the way through the game, one-one after the first period, three-three after the um, second period, and then they, you know, took five-four victory against uh, Switzerland as well, which they did very nearly completely mess up. Yeah, it's worth saying that as well. Um, if you have a look at the the game stats, um, Germany were four-nil up in that one at the end of the second period. They very nearly completely threw it away. Um, they conceded two goals within a minute of each other oh. at the midpoint of the period uh, to bring it back to four-two. Then they um, got an empty net goal with two and a half minutes to go. But then took a it uh, was it Justin Volek took a um, game misconduct penalty of five plus ten uh, for cross checking, and then so it left uh, what Switzerland on the power play for the rest of that game, and they got two goals on that power play. Yep. to bring it back to 5-4. So I bet it must have been uh, some clenched muscles on the German uh, bench towards the end of that. Um, and again, like with Austria, again, as you said, um, you just have a look at the stats and you, yeah, you look at Sebastian Sheets, and, okay, you look at it and he's got a goals against average of 7.45. Ouch. <laughs> but, oh the save percentage is only just a touch below 900 yeah so you that's what you've got to weigh up as you said yes okay his goals against average is appalling but if you compare it to the amount of shots he was facing he's still in and around I mean there's some NHL netminders that have a save percentage lower than that
0: Mm, yeah
1: yeah okay they face fewer shots but he's not it's not like he's had a save percentage down at 600 and he's just a cheese grater full of holes. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I think Austria really struggled. Of course, uh, Marco Rossi played all four games, but uh, didn't contribute on the on the scoreboard. Difficult to contribute on the scoreboard when they only got one goal in four games. Yeah. Um, so Senna Peters, congratulations for scoring their goal. <laughs> um, and the other thing you said with um, Tim Stutzel being the uh, the forward of the tournament, of the, let me have a look, of the 14 goals that Germany scored, he got 10 points off it. So yeah. he was involved in 10 out of the 14 goals that Germany scored uh, in the group stages. Um, yeah, and they only got obviously the one goal in the, uh, but out of 10 out of the 15, because uh, I don't know if he had anything to do with the. Uh, Goal, did you would expect the... so
0: but then again obviously he might not have necessarily game
1: i'll have a look
0: but um, yeah i mean like tim stutzler he this was stutzler, stutzler. no he didn't so 10 yeah okay. so he was
1: two thirds of germany's goals. he was involved in
0: yeah and it, it just goes to show how reliant they were on stutzler and i, I think it's also worth mentioning like you mentioned about the uh, austrian netminder um how yeah like he had a I mean, he faced a ton of shots. His save percentage was close to 900, which is in- incredibly respectable. But, like, he was playing against many players that will or could potentially be future NHL players that end up spending mm. 5, 10, 15 years in the league. So, the fact that he was able to perform so well, not just against... Well, I mean, it's relative, let's be honest. it's It's relative. The fact that, yeah, he allowed 16 goals or whatever or however many goals. But, like... Look, it's it's one of those situations where these players are so honoured to be at that tournament and get the opportunity to represent their country. And I saw an interview, I think it was with a 16-year-old player on the Austrian team. I think his dad was the coach. I, I can't remember all of it off the top of my head. I saw it on Instagram or something, I think and um, uh, one of the reporters was asking him about like the homework that he was having while he was at the tournament and he basically said oh it's, it, it was a, I had a little bit more at the beginning of the tournament but now we're at this point like I haven't got as much homework kind of thing like you know funny, funny answer you know like good kid showing he's got a good sense of humour but the thing is him and all the other players whether it be for Switzerland whether it be for Austria those guys this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for those players some of those players mm. especially from those weaker countries might never play hockey after this tournament they might decide a couple of years down the line you know what i can't make it pro i'm going to i have to be uh, realistic here i've got to go down a different career path or i need to do something else completely different or they don't get drafted into the nhl and they don't find a gig in, in europe or something and you know they have to decide i can't do this anymore and the fact that they'll always have a jersey with their national logo on it with their name on the back that they wore at a at the highest level of junior major junior competition that's such an incredible thing for them. There's so many players in those countries that would kill for an opportunity like that. And I don't think yeah. it's fair for kind of the the North American media to take away or, or delegitimize the fact that they're there all because their team blew them out. Like, why don't why don't you be happy that your team won? Like, yeah, it's it it it's not necessarily entertaining to watch when uh, the opponent you're playing against is is losing by 10, 15 goals, but at the same time, those kids are honored to be there. They're 18, 19 year old kids. Some of them as as young as 16. Like these guys think of how much experience some of those younger players have got and how great of an experience that is to go head to head against some of the best players in that age group in the entire world and get the chance to, to learn what it takes to become a better player. Yeah. They might not have had the, the best situation with the training and obviously they couldn't really interact too much away from the rink because you know, all of the safety measures and everything, but you never know. A lot of those players might go, go back to their native country or their native league and tear up the league for the rest of the season, all because they gained some confidence from the tournament, or they learnt like this a little something new about them, or, or a coach told them something, or a player on the opposing team told them something. Like, I I feel like it's such a vital tournament, especially for these fringe nations like the Austrians, the Switzerland isn't Switzerland isn't so much of a uh a fringe nation nowadays but Germany for example I'd say they're more of a fringe nation especially because they've got a lot of young guys coming up the system whereas Switzerland has a lot of already established NHL players so it's kind of you know give the kids a chance right Chris?
1: Yeah I find I find the, the junior championships interesting and I'll kind of tell you why is that not so much in the in the top tier Obviously, everything else got cancelled this year but let's take the let's take division one group a let's say for example it was going ahead okay. and you were a a, what, a 19 year old you know your last year of being eligible mm-hmm. and you're let's pick a random country denmark right? okay and you have a brilliant tournament and, and you win the tournament and denmark go up into the top tier you then don't get to experience the top tier because you're then too old to be eligible yeah that's true so you then go back into the you know you then go into the full mens where denmark aren't even featured yeah in like even down to division 4 denmark aren't even there oh sorry they're in the top tier what am i on about but you know what i mean like
0: <laughs> yeah. you know what i
1: mean like you could yeah. you can have a country who are at the top tier of the or the second tier of the um
0: Junior juniors yeah.
1: and then you never get there whereas take a take aside let's for example say great britain i'm say, so i'm nowhere near a hockey player or anything like that but i'm 24 <laughs> if i was part of the great britain squad that went from division one group a into the top tier i've got 10 years still of my career where I'd be eligible for G B and have the opportunity if I keep playing well to be in that top tier. Yeah. Whereas in the junior system, you could obviously have your birthday become too old, and then you might you know you might not make it into the men's side for a good few years, by which point they may have been relegated three divisions down. And then you had this great achievement when you were young, but then never got to experience the top tier. I just find it a bit interesting, really, that you know that they, they really work for it. And I think that's potentially why. Not controversy is the wrong word, but obviously, we had uh, you did your video a while ago about throwing the silver medal away, and I think that's because, particularly when you're when you want something so badly and you know that it's your last opportunity, like if you're in the men's squad, you've got next year, you've got the year after, particularly if you're young, whereas here, this is your last opportunity at this level mm. to, to achieve the top. And if you know, some people might not. Uh, you know, get the, obviously not this year because there isn't a the promotion but you don't don't get to you know experience it as much
0: yeah and and with leif anderson of team sweden who threw his silver medal <clears throat> he threw a silver medal into the uh, uh into the crowd into the fans threw it to a fan in 2018 i believe that's exactly the reason or the motivation behind him doing that is the fact that he'd won a silver or a bronze at every other world junior championship level He wanted the gold and it was his last chance to do so. Now, does that make what he did right? No. But at the same time, you can kind of understand that a a kid, they're all 16 to 19-year-olds. They're young. They're not fully developed, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, everything like that, Like whatever argument you want to make. They've still got plenty of growing to do. Like Think about yourself when you were 18, 19. You probably had a long way to go. Exactly, you know, and it's kind of, um, go for it.
1: I was going to say it was something that I was saying. No, we're going to come on to, but because you've not fully developed and, you know, yes, you're 19, 20, but you're not fully matured yes. in in kind of the the mental state, which is why you have things like the silver medal thing, why you have barrel gate, which we'll come on to, because they're not, <laughs> I think particularly in the heat of the moment, they're not fully aware yet. You know, you've got a group of 25, 19 and 20 year olds who have just done this incredible thing. And of course they're going to go a bit, nuts I mean anybody who's been to university and knows what freshers can be like (laughs) knows what happens when you get a group of 19 and 20 year olds I remember having one person who I think spent their entire first term student loan in freshers week and had to live off cans of beans for 11 weeks up to christmas
0: i feel that's a very regular thing to happen especially at uk universities it's a very much a uk thing like freshers um but i mean we've obviously talked about some of the more specific things i i feel like we may as well go through the standings and kind of how the tournament went for uh, ju- just to kind of give ourselves a chance to go, oh, we weren't expecting this team to do so well. We weren't expecting this team to kind of have such success or a- any sort of surprises or thoughts that that come our way, really. So I'm just going to take you through the standings of the group stage to begin with. So there's two groups, obviously, two groups of five teams. Um, we had in Group A, Canada won every single one of their games, 33 goals to four goals against. Uh, Finland took second place with, uh, they had three wins and one loss in their tournament, uh, 16 goals to eight. So they weren't a very high scoring team but they didn't allow that many goals. Uh, then you had Germany taking up third place. They had one win and one overtime win with a pair of losses to start the tournament. They their goals for and against was terrible at 14 to 28. And uh, then you had Slovakia who I will admit Slovakia gave the, the Canadians a pretty good run for their money in their group stage game. I I sat and watched the game. I was up till about 30 2 o'clock in the morning watching that, and up until about the third period, the Slovakians had done a very good job of shutting the Canadians down, and kind of showing that they weren't immortal you know and kind of everybody expected even though Kirby Dak went down everyone was expecting the Canadians to be this unstoppable force that would kind of steamroll through the entire competition and yeah they did beat the Slovakians 3-1 at the end of the day I'm pretty sure but Slovakia gave them a decent game out of it I would argue and then in in last yeah, place I mean, go, sorry go for it Chris I was going to say yeah it, it was 3-1 but
1: I, I always kind of I kind of delve deeper into these scores, particularly this sort of thing. And it's something I'm definitely going to come on to later is that I take them with a pinch of salt because you look at it. And the third goal, 13 seconds from the end from Jack Quinn was an empty netter. And I almost kind of don't count those. Yeah, You know what I mean? So it was kind of 2-1. And as you said, they really gave Canada a run for their money.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, they did a better job than Switzerland did. Uh, who allowed 10 goals against uh, Canada. um, And they, like Chris mentioned earlier, lost all of their games, only scored five goals in the tournament. Interestingly, Slovakia only scored five goals in the tournament as well. However, the goal difference was slightly better in Slovakia's favour, and they did actually manage to win a game. And then in Group B, we had the USA topping their group with three wins and a loss. Uh, We had the Russians taking second place in the group with three wins, but one of them being an overtime as well as a loss. Uh, Sweden took third place in the group uh, with a pretty similar situation, except... Uh, instead of the overtime win, they had an overtime loss. They were basically 2-1-1. One, and one. Uh, The Czech Republic, who were okay this tournament, they weren't great, but they gave a better run for their money than the lower teams in Group A, for example, because they won two and lost two, whereas uh, Slovakia only won one, Switzerland won none. And then obviously you had Austria at the bottom, one goal in the tournament and uh, four straight losses. So that then led to the playoffs, Um and I'll just take you through the playoffs once it loads through. So we had Canada beat the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals. Germany beat Russia. The US versus Slovakia and Swin- uh, Swinland, uh Finland versus Sweden. It'd be, it would help if I could get the names right. Um, so <laughs> Canada shut out the Czech Republic. Russia um, beat the Germans. A close game, two to one. I, I feel like some people might have uh, thought that game would be a little bit of a wider margin for the Russians. They weren't necessarily the best team or well, they weren't a particularly very good team or tournament long, I'd argue the Russians. They did enough to kind of go through to the semi-finals, but they didn't have the best of tournaments. I I expected them to do far better. I had them winning the silver medal, so. Um, and then the United States beat Slovakia 5-2, and then Finland beat Sweden 3-2, which was a nail-biter of a game as far as I'm aware. Um, and that led to the semi-finals where Canada played Russia, completely destroyed them 5 nothing. Askarov had a really tough night in that net. And and the USA played Finland, where the USA won four uh, three, I believe, a last minute goal or within the final two minutes of the game, uh, it was three three because Finland had tied the game up, and then the US came back and managed to to get the uh, game breaking uh, yeah, goal. Yeah,
1: one minute and
0: sixteen from the end. Oh, that, that's what I really like about this tournament. There's always those like clutch last minute heroic goals, whether it be in a group stage game or the semi finals or the gold medal match. There's always one of them. And then that led to the bronze medal game, which was between Finland and Russia. It was a 4-1 win to Finland, which congratulations to them winning the bronze medal. I didn't have them winning a medal at this tournament. I thought they would certainly be in the running for one, but I didn't think they'd... I I thought they'd be kind of the fourth, fifth place team. They managed to prove me wrong, so congratulations to them. Um, So that means Russia finished fourth place. Um, certainly um, underachieved on the expectations I had for them and I think a lot of other people did as well and then of course the aforementioned gold medal game a 2 nothing victory to the United States over Canada goals from Alex Turcott and Trevor Zegras, and a 34 save shutout for the first round Florida Panthers draft pick Spencer Knight in the game so a pretty pretty dominant goaltending performance for them And yeah, the United States take the gold medal. So I'll bring up the overall standings just so you can see that as we kind of discuss things as they go along. I want to talk about Canada quickly before we kind of move on to anything else, Chris, because... Yeah, I'm doing Canada first. Like I mentioned, and like we've talked about pretty much all tournament or all episode long, the Canadians were a team that we expected to pretty much steamroll through the rest of the competition. They did a good job during the group stages. A lot of people don't really pay too much attention to the tournament, especially the kind of... Um, casual fans or the more casual than hardcore kind of sitting in the middle of that meter uh, because you know the group stage you go, you do play against teams like Switzerland and Austria that don't really stand much of a chance and you're expected to win those games however I feel like the Canadians and, and this was mentioned by one of the US players I believe before the gold medal game and it kind of got a few Canadians fans up in arms a little bit and that's even before the Barrelgate scandal which we'll talk about in a minute but They basically said that whether it be five on five or in general, the Canadians hadn't really been challenged as much as they could have been by other teams in the tournament or they'd been so much better or been seen as so much better and more intimidating than some of the other teams in the tournament. That when they finally came up, for want of a better term, against a legitimate opponent in the the US, of course Finland is a legitimate opponent, Russia's a legitimate uh, opponent, let's not delegitimize them at all. When they actually came up against the teams that had a legitimate shot of winning the tournament or looked hot in the tournament, like the US did, they kind of crumpled a little bit and... I think the the biggest place or, or the buck stops with the goaltending in that regard because Chris and I were talking about this before we started uh, recording the podcast. Devin Levi, the seventh-round pick by the Florida Panthers um, – So interestingly, in the gold medal match, it was two Florida Panthers draft picks going against each other. Panthers wouldn't complain with that, um, especially with how Bobrovsky played last year. But um, looking at the the stats, Devin Levi dominated the the statistical categories. He had an under one goals against average, three shutouts in six games in the tournament. He was named the netminder of the tournament by the end of it. So it's kind of like, yeah, by all intents and purposes, he looked like the real deal. My argument would be is, he played against i mean switzerland he played against germany both of those games were absolute destructions and he didn't really face much of a challenge i feel like i feel like the canadian team kind of cruised through the tournament a little bit too much to the point where once they actually got to the games that mattered most they weren't necessarily Sharp as sharp as they could have been already to deal with the kind of hard-nosed play that the United States were giving them. What what are your thoughts on that argument, potentially, Chris? Like, what what are your kind of overall thoughts on the fact that Canada coming into the tournament was so bigged up to be this, this dynasty of a team and wanting to repeat uh, their gold medal from last year, yet they don't even score a goal in the final game of the tournament?
1: Yeah, I think. Obviously, a lot of, well, in fact, all of the hype that was surrounding Canada was not them themselves. It was the media putting it on to them. Oh, yeah. But yes, I can see where you're getting at. You look at the games, um, you look at the first game against Germany, 4-1 at the end of the first period. It's 11-1 by the end of the second period. And then you just have a leisurely skate around for the third period, don't you? Slovakia, they did give them a good run for the yes. money. So that was a good game. But again, I think overall the calibre just didn't get there. Switzerland again. I'm just having a look at the Switzerland game now. Now the first period, Canada outshot Switzerland 14 to 3. Yeah. In the first period, which again is where we were coming at with the um you know the net minders not really having to do a lot and all the rest of it. look at the second period, and Canada outshot Switzerland 23 to 4. Which is, you know, just shows how dominant and again again then Canada at that point when you're five 0 up. I would say they took their foot off the gas, but they scored five in the third period. But um and then you get to Finland, which again would have been a, a difficult um you know, could have potentially been a difficult game for them, but when you put the first on the board at three forty nine, and then by the midpoint of the second period you're already three 0 up and you're about you know, there again already. I mean, take the first period in that Finland game. Right, They only scored one goal, but they outshot Finland 17 to 1. Yeah. They held Finland to one shot in the first in the first period. You know, so it's only in the final period, I've noticed here, like Finland had 12 to Canada's five in the final period. It's only when the games were kind of done and buried that the other teams, I think Canada took their foot off the gas and it allowed the other teams to come back into it. You then go into the quarterfinals where they face the Czech Republic and yeah, okay, the Czech Republic are an okay side. But I think that whereas Canada, as we've mentioned, are like all first round draft picks, your teams like your Germany, your Switzerland, no, not your Switzerland, your Austrians, your your Czech Republic, they're relying on a few stars who have been drafted and the problem with ice hockey is, with all the line changes, your stars aren't always on the ice making an impact. Yeah, And I think that's the problem that a lot of these lesser teams face. So you come up against the Czech Republic and they obviously beat them by three goals to nil. You have a look at the, the stats there again when it uh, starts to load. And it was a close one, actually. The Czech Republic actually outshot them. Um, but Canada, I think, just had that extra touch then you come up against russia and when you get into the semi-finals obviously you're down to the last four teams you expect it to be the elite teams which for the most part it was in fact in fact it was but russia as we said they have not had the greatest of tournaments and i know we're going to get on to russia in a moment but the the one game that really stands out to me is russia got shut out by the czech republic Mm. so you come into that and you go well russia got shut out by the czech Republic. And then we've just gone and shut out the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals. So we know we've, you know, we should have a decent side. And I can see what the Americans are getting at. Because the first time they came up against that elite side, because Russia, this tournament, I'm sorry, but quite frankly, weren't. Yeah. The first time they come up against the elite side, they struggle and they don't score.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to look at it. And I, I I just want to make it clear that it's I'm not like putting the sole blame of Canada's uh, silver medal on Devon Levi or anything. If anything, I think it was made more difficult by the fact that he wasn't facing a ton of action for a lot of the tournament because it meant that he might not necessarily have been as dialed in as a lot of other the other netminders. Like think about like when you hear what so many netminders when the, whether they're on like the NHL Network or they're talking like in interviews with the media and stuff most netminders like it when they face a shot every few minutes or so, or they face yeah. a bit of action in their own zone because it keeps them dialed in. And they say that the weak goals that are allowed or all the goals where they kind of have a bit of a miscommunication with their team or, or there's a bit of a mistake for on their end or the, or they don't quite anticipate it the right way is because they've, been watching the puck on the other side of the ice for pretty much the entire period and then the other team just gets a lucky little shot and catch them off guard a little bit. So so in, in Levi's defense, given the fact that, like, obviously, he's not going to complain with the stats that he put up. Yeah, he would have loved to have win, won the gold medal for the team and had a shout out in the, in the final game, but the stats that he put up were, I mean, they're pretty incredible, let's be perfectly honest here. But Yeah, I mean... Yeah, go for it. I was
1: going to say, I mean, I, I, as I said, I've watched the highlights of the gold medal game and... You know the the first the first goal was deflection out in front, which he could have done absolutely nothing about.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the second one were the the shot came in, it, it hit the backboards, um, and he thought it had gone to the other side of the net, so it went to hook at the other post. In the meantime, the puck hadn't gone to the other side of the net. And the uh, American just, you know, picked it up and just flicked it into the into the corner before he could get back across. So mm. they, I mean, the the second one perhaps he could have been a little bit more aware, um, but the first one was just complete un, uh, unlucky. But uh, I think the the uh, first, I mean, you could you can't even argue that the forwards didn't shot. They had thirty four shots in that final game, and America only had twenty one. Yeah. So you know the the defenders particularly they did their job. I just, it just wasn't one of those games
0: for Canada. I think, and uh, ultimately, it's kind of that's the worst thing for them. I, I think of all of the different situations they could have been, the fact that like it just kind of wasn't their game and the puck didn't bounce their way was pretty much the only thing that would have stopped them from winning the gold medal. And it just, it just so happened that the final game of the tournament was the game where the puck didn't bounce their way. Because let's be honest, like Canada were undefeated in the group stage; they were undefeated up until that point in the tournament. The U.S. had already lost a game. Uh, during the tournament, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, they they lost one yeah. game during the group stage. So, you know, like, yeah, I'm not going to put too much um, too much of an emphasis on a loss during the group stage or anything. But, you know, like, the fact that the US are kind of... they would faced a, a bit more adversity. they would certainly faced more adversity than the Canadians during the tournament. And, you know, like, it's a situation where they managed to dig deeper and the puck maybe bounced their way a little bit more than the Canadians and uh, their goaltender managed to stand on his head. Like Spencer Knight was a huge reason as to why the the US won that Mm -hmm. game. 34 saves on the night. Like you can't really ask a goaltender to do much more than that. So yeah. And, and kind of talking about the Russians um, I said during our episode a couple of weeks ago that Yaroslav Askarov would be the reason like he could steal the gold medal for the Russians if he played his usual impressive level and it turns out that he just simply didn't have it. And I think another player that uh, a lot of, especially Vancouver Canucks fans, are, are quick to kind of dogpile on is uh, Vasily Podkolzin. I believe that's how you pronounce his name, the forward um they drafted him in the top ten a year or two ago. So he's been a player that's been highly touted. He's been with SK St. Petersburg, with Yaroslav Askarov for a lot of um for the last couple of years. He's he's really struggled all year long, whether it be in the KHL or in the World Junior Championships. He had a he had a good game here or there where he notched a couple of points on the board. But I think overall, him and Askarov not performing the way that people were either hoping or expecting them to led to russia finishing fourth place without a medal because like i said i will hold my hands up and say i expected them to be in the gold medal game i didn't expect the united states to be as good as they were and i want to i am more than happy to accept the fact that i was wrong on that because the united states played a solid game especially in the gold medal match and that's that's one of the really good things about you know i i do love the whole seven game stanley cup playoff idea and it's kind of like you really are getting the best team because you have to win four games every series. But there is always something exciting about it comes down to one game. You have to basically yeah. put everything on the line in that one game and, and get the job done. And I feel like certain teams that really benefits, whereas other teams that are kind of in it for the long haul or are set up for more durability it doesn't necessarily benefit so much. But yeah, what what are your thoughts on on the Russians during the tournament, Chris? Because like I mentioned yeah, Askarov so- wasn't very strong, was he?
1: No, so, I mean, they, they had the good start with the with the 5-3 victory over America. And it's the only conceding the free, three goals, one goal a period. You can't really complain of that. Um, they then obviously had that blip, their um, regulation loss uh, to the Czech Republic, a 2-0 defeat. Definitely not. But again, the net minding in that, conceding two goals, I mean, you, don't, you can't really blame the net minding there. You just have to, uh, you know, look at the forwards and say, yeah. well, you know, you, you didn't put the puck in the net. Yep. Um, you look at Austria. We'll kind of discount that because it's not really that relevant. And then the Sweden game, which they did, you know, come out on top of in in overtime. And again, they only conceded three goals. So in the group stage, nine goals against in in four games. You can't complain too much at that. You know, only just over two and a well, it's a two and a quarter goals a game, isn't it? That you you can't really compare, complain too much at that. And then they get past Germany again, only conceding one goal. Canada is where the where the problem really really lied there uh 30 saves on 34 shots plus the empty netter and i think i don't know if that just took the confidence out or, or what but uh yeah that it that wasn't a good showing from the russians again you've got to look at the forwards and say you know you know where are your goals coming from you can't you know expect to win a game where in fact you can't physically win a game if you don't put the putty, uh, put the puck in the net yeah um and then into the the bronze medal game, and again, I want to take the bronze medal game with a pinch of salt because that four-one includes two empty net goals for Finland right. in the last two minutes. Okay, when Russia pulled the netminder to try and to get that goal back. So with two minutes to go, it was two-one, and then the netminder went. So you've right. got to have that. You've got to look a bit deeper into that scoreline rather than just taking it at face value. Um, so other than that one Canada game, it wasn't a dreadful. Um, series, kind of net-minding-wise. I just think Russia, they kind of struggled with the the firepower out front. I mean, you look at the They only scored, on average, a goal a game in the three games in the playoffs, and you're never going to go very far if you're only doing that.
0: Yeah, very true. And I think it's worth mentioning, so with the two empty net goals, Askarov only allowed two goals in that bronze medal game instead of the four that's presented on the box score. So that's kind of adding to your point the fact that Askarov might not necessarily have had the worst tournament, like he was was good, but... I think the fact that he was drafted so high, he's played so well in the KHL over the last year or so, I, I feel like there was another level to his game that he has hit in the past that he just didn't hit in this tournament for one reason or another. And yeah, it's not the sole reason why the Russians didn't uh, finish the tournament with a medal. However, it's it's one of those little like storylines within the team because ultimately there wasn't enough offense from the Russian side. And when there wasn't enough offense... The goaltending wasn't strong enough to be able to steal the show and stand on his head and you know record a shutout when the team could only kind of get one goal in the net. It was kind of ended up being a close game, but usually in the opponent's favor, or or a real like nail biter where the Russians just didn't seem to score enough in this tournament. I I feel like that was their downfall here, wasn't it, Chris?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, as I said, they did they didn't score anywhere near enough in the um, in the playoffs. If you take the Austria game out of it because it doesn't really count you're talking three goals a game in the group stages I mean that's that's not bad considering they got shut out against the the Czech Republic but the fact that they got shut out against the Czech Republic isn't good either Um, and I think just I think of the Russian team you know you do the deep the the deep kind of delve into the statistics and what happens and it looks as though the net minding was the strongest part because elsewhere you know they came out of the blocks okay against the USA and had a, a, a strong kind of tightly fought game against Sweden but other than that i mean they didn't light the the tournament up kind of as we were expecting and as russian
0: teams in in the past have done um and it just wasn't the wasn't the greatest tournament for for Russia in the slightest i'm glad that you mentioned that russia sweden game because as we've been talking i reminded myself of something you um alluded to me as the tournament was going on, as the group stage was going on. And that is, of course... Yes, uh, I was going to bring this up. Yeah, but, and that is, of course, uh, Team Sweden's um, group stage winning streak finally came to an end this year. Do you remember how many games it was consecutive that they won?
1: Yes, so they um, so, so they won the first one against the Czech Republic,
0: um, and then they... I've
1: uh, lost their second game. Where has it gone? Oh, they, they beat Austria as well. Um, and then that loss to Russia ended i believe it it was either 55 or 56 okay um i think it was 55 um a 55 game group game winning streak has now come to an end um with that loss to uh russia um and sweden again sweden surprised me um i mean i was hoping that they I was pretty close with with my predictions. Had Sweden managed to get past Finland, yeah, um, yeah, I would, I would have been quite close. But Finland just completely—it was their two goals in the third, with what eight fifty-six to go, and then with twenty-five seconds to go. That was, you know, having that game. That wasn't on um, at regulation time either. Um, yeah, it wasn't in an empty net because the you know it was two-two at that point. Um, but when you know when you've got 25 seconds to go in the team scores and you, you know that's about it and then uh, getting a 10 minute penalty for uh, Noel Gundler at the end for unsportsmanlike conduct right at the end of the game as well uh not great but um that surprised me but yes yeah, so they uh, the winning streak has come to an end at uh, 55 games i think it was uh and the now the longest winning streak now belongs to team Canada a group game winning streak, but it's, it's not quite as impressive because it's at six.
0: Six, so there you go. Six,
1: see, so if, if the format stays this way, you're talking 13 years undefeated. Canada need to go. So maybe you know, on episode what it would be about 2000, it'd be, it'd be about, no, it would be about episode 750 of the Euro podcast, Canada in what 2033 when I'm yeah. what, in my late 30s and still sat here doing this I, you, I will also be in my stream. late
0: 30s oh my god <laughs> could you imagine if we were still sat here doing this podcast into our late 30s and <laughs> we're like talking about how Canada have just beaten Sweden's record that would be pretty incredible but I, I feel like that that record was mentioned a lot throughout the tournament obviously especially when Sweden were on the ice um, and uh, the fan response was very much like oh yeah but they barely ever won any gold medals or went far in the tournament because of it like yeah they were great in the group stage game but they always find a way to kind of bottle it in the in the um knockout stages and say what you want about their success in the knockout stages in the playoffs and everything like that but 55 straight games in the group stage winning like that's such an impressive achievement and like chris mentioned the next one is what six did you say with canada yeah, Canada are on six now, and that's basically all of their group stage games for this tournament. So yeah, like, they, they won the last
1: two last year. Yeah, and then so they won this year. So two last so that's, year. That's it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So two last year, four this year, and they've got to carry on for another thirteen years if they want to try yeah, and so beat the, that the, record. The
1: twenty thirty four World Championships, they might beat it if they go undefeated between now and then. Wow, <laughs> what <laughs> I love, what I love in that, what I love in that is that you're relying on future hockey players who are currently four years
0: old. Oh my God, yeah. Going
1: through and then becoming undefeated. That's really weird when you think about it. Do you reckon there's parents in Canada looking at their four-year-old going, right, you are going to be the one that breaks this record. Considering... I'm going to put a...
0: in the garden considering some hockey parents out there yes i absolutely imagine <laughs> there are definitely some out there like that it's the same with like you know like those those shows on like those trashy tv networks where it's like beauty pageants and stuff they use oh, it's all the parents yeah, yeah. It's just the super competitive parents whether it be hockey sports you know the beauty pageants or like art competitions whatever it is or you've always got those parents
1: tournaments isn't it yeah the kids don't really care that much and then it's just the parents
0: yeah the kids are just there to have a good time and you know maybe do well and then the the parents are like you will come first place or you're walking home um but (laughs) yeah yeah, so so congratulations to sweden on such an impressive record Uh, obviously the the end of the tournament wasn't great for them but you know i feel like we've done a good job on touching specifically on a lot of the different teams in the tournament we haven't touched on every single one of them individually cuz a lot of the teams i didn't really get the chance to Would look be at all night. Um, but to be fair i do want to m- mention the kind of top um players in the tournament cuz they've done top goaltender, top defenseman, top forward and MVP, as well as a kind of all-star team. So we've mentioned several of these guys already, but there's a couple of guys from Finland, for example, that I do want to, to mention because we haven't really talked about them a huge amount and they won a bronze medal. So they deserve a bit of credit. So uh, Devin Levi got the top goaltender award at the World Junior Championships. As I mentioned, six wins, a 96.4 safe percentage. So 0.964 safe percentage. Absolutely incredible. Point uh, zero or 0.75 goals against average, which is shocking and then three shutouts in six games and then you had a toppy uh, N- uh Nimala, i think it's Nimala. he had uh eight points in the tournament as a defenseman and a plus four so that's a pretty strong showing for him uh we also mentioned tim stutzler he was a minus four in the tournament but 10 points on 14 or 15 german goals in the tournament and then the mvp went to the final goal scorer in the entire tournament Trevor egress 18 points a plus nine seven goals 11 assists um and that's a pretty good showing for an american player as well gets the job done and then several of these players as you would uh, expect are on the all-star team also um the ones that weren't on the got the top awards but are on the all-star team include uh Bowen byram he had a very good tournament 13 uh plus 13 uh five points on the in the tournament dylan cousins uh, an alternate captain also co-captain because kirby Dak went down for canada plus 11 in the tournament 16 points which is, you know, pretty impressive. Uh, Tim Stutzler once again. And then Will Hainola. He's a Winnipeg Jets draft picker, as far as I'm aware. He had four assists in the tournament, a plus three for Finland. He wasn't the top defenseman. It's interesting that they chose a different defenseman. Um, for the all-star team instead of the top defenseman but you know i'm not part of the ihf so I, I don't know um so there's kind of one last thing i, I really want to talk about uh in this episode it's, it's going to be a slightly shorter episode than usual because you know it's our first episode back after a couple of weeks give us a break guys and um, i want to talk about the Barrelgate scandal now a lot of you might not know what i'm talking about here some of you might some of you might not um, but we're going to talk about it in a little bit of detail and kind of talk about how ridiculous it is, personally. Uh, I'm going to explain it all to you. I, I, get get ready for a story, Chris. hope you're ready. Wrapped up nice and warm. Got a hot yeah, cup around, of cocoa. Gather around, kids.
1: It's yep. story time. Gather round,
0: uh, European hockey fans. Let's talk about the Barrelgate Scandals. Hope you've got a nice cup of cocoa. You've got a nice blanket on you. You're all wrapped up. You know, I know like... how
1: everything has gate on the end of it. Oh, absolutely. These sort of things. Definitely.
0: I mean, I named it the Barrelgate Scandal, to be fair, so, you know, it's kind of like going on that trend. Um, and, you I know, don't know. I look. Tony, it. it was like hashtag barrelgate. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay, other people were saying it as well. Fair enough. Um so basically the gold medal game ended, right? United States won. Everyone's like, way well, everyone in the United States were like, way everyone on Canada were like, oh, we got the silver medal. We should have won that game. Um now at the end of that, all of the team USA uh, players, uh coaches, off-ice staff, they all gather together, as the winning team does every year, gathers together for the kind of victory team photo you know like the picture with the stanley cup at the end of the playoffs every year team photo everyone gets together because there, there is a trophy for the world junior championships which i always forget that they have every single year because kind of like i just expect them to get the gold medals and it's kind of like yay gold medal they also get like a cute little trophy as well so they all gather together but before they took the photo uh the starting netminder the player that had got 34 save shutout for the team to help them win spencer knight goes to the bench and grabs this container with the Team Canada logo taped onto the side of it. He brings it into the frame, he goes and finds his position in the huddle, and then they take the photos. Now, as you can expect, a lot of uh, emotionally upset and a a, a very raw experience the Canadian fans had had just losing to the Americans. A lot of them were like, "Um, why have you got a trash can with the Canadian logo sitting on the ice with you guys? that's a little bit disrespectful, right? Like, come on, you won the game. There's no need to pour salt into the wound. Now, I have actually written a lot of, uh, I've gone through all of the uh, reasoning as to why this happened and all of that stuff. But essentially, the whole argument was the uh, the head coach of Team USA, whose name is uh, is Nate Lehman, he basically told a story to the US team pretty much at the beginning of the tournament or like the pre-tournament training that Team USA had together about a uh, former coach of uh, Team Canada for the 2007 squad, Ron Rolston, and he basically told a story how uh, travelers in modern-day Algeria, so French travelers during modern-day Algeria, um, when they would be walking through the Sahara Desert, which bearing in mind 500-mile desert You know, it's kind of like if you there's no water, there's no food, there's no access to any kind of essentials. So a lot of people die in the Sahara Desert. Um, One of the ways they kind of marked their journey and kind of made it easier for people to travel um, through the desert is every sort of five kilometers, according to him, they would place empty oil drums kind of along the way to kind of signal the next uh, part of the journey or to kind of make sure they're going in the same direction because in a desert it's very easy to kind of get yourself confused and walk around in circles right so they put these oil drums down and essentially the whole philosophy behind it was you'd only be looking at the next barrel ahead of you and that's all you've got to get to next and then once you get to that barrel you get to the next barrel you get to the next barrel you end up getting to where you need to go etc cetera, etc cetera. so the whole idea was um uh, nate lehman took this philosophy presented it to the um USA squad and said look what I or what they decided to do was their whole philosophy was one barrel at a time we're not going to talk about the gold medal i don't want to talk about the gold medal let's just focus on each game as we go along we have the game before us let's just focus on our next opponent and one thing they did in their locker room every single game was have a uh, container or a barrel Um, A lot of Canadian fans thought it was a trash can. It wasn't a trash can. It was a container where I would imagine they put lots of the equipment, like the equipment staff would have their gloves and their jerseys and stuff in. That's what it looked like anyway. Um, And they taped the logo of the team that they were playing against um, that game. So, you know, when they played Russia, they had the Russian, uh, either the flag or the logo of their team on the container, on the barrel. And then if they won the game, the team would take a selfie with the barrel and the kids like the, the players seemed to really buy into this. Apparently they really, they really liked that idea and kind of like, Oh, we're just taking it one step at a time. We can celebrate the victory by being like, look, we got like, we captured this barrel kind of thing. Um, so that's essentially why the barrel ended up making its way onto the ice. The players really wanted it with them when they beat the, or when they won the gold medal, cause they'd been focusing and it was the philosophy for the entirety of the camp. So the head coach made it abundantly clear that like it wasn't meant disrespectfully. It wasn't a dig at the Canadians. It wasn't like trying to pour salt into the wound or anything. It was simply, this is a philosophy that they carried the whole way along. The players had really bought into the idea of taking a selfie with the barrel once the game had ended and once they'd won the game. Now, could they have left the barrel in the locker room? Yes. Was it the right thing to do? Who knows? Was it classy? Was it unsportsmanlike? Was it disrespectful? Well, it depends on who you ask. In my opinion, it was just a big argument about nothing. I can understand in the moment when some uh, of the Canadian fans had just watched their team lose that they thought it was a sign of disrespect or they were trying to like uh, insult their opponents. Like, I can understand where that argument came from, especially when they didn't understand the context of the whole um, philosophy and the, the way that these barrels had been used by the team. But at the end of the day, it's a load of rubbish about nothing. I feel like a lot of fans just wanted something to blame or get angry about, and they basically tried to cancel a barrel on social media, which is something I've never seen before, but cancel culture is a fantastic, fascinating uh, beast, and one day it's your barrels, the next day it's your toasters, folks. Um, But yeah, so um, (laughs) that's basically the story of Barrelgate. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you for listening to my story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't need to watch your video now, do I? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of similar to you, really, in the sense that I think obviously in the moment. Everyone was like, "Oh, you know, not good." But you know, I mean, being around hockey, I mean, I know those big blue barrels. They're often the sticks are often shoved in there at the end of the game. They're you know stuff stuff's put in there. It's more a, a like a, a transport container rather yeah. than a trash can. Um, and it was kind of symbolic and meant something too those american players in the same way that i'm trying to think of another exam example really but you know people want certain things at their weddings or i'm trying to think of another sporting example the only thing i can come up with was back in the olympics when they did the those athletes did the black power salute because it was symbolic to them
0: yeah
1: and they you know they wanted to do it at that time i think that I think it is a lot kind of to do about nothing. I think the fact that the obviously the, the Canadian logo was on it was the problem.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, I think they could have they could have just rotated the barrel 180 degrees, but um and you know, and then it would have would have been okay. But I think, you know, give it a couple of days when the emotions have gone, it's all blown over and the you know, the explanation has, has now come out. Um as to why they did it and I quite like the the reasoning and the story and the the way of you know not trying to deal with the mountain at once dealing with it in in small sections um and I think it is kind of a bit of a, a nothing story really at the uh at the end of it but then there's part of me that likes the um kind of the photos with the trophy, particularly on the ice like that, to, to be kind of the pure the pure photo. And I think I do agree with you in some senses that they could have a photo with all that stuff back in the locker room afterwards.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like, is it something they had to do for the photo? No was it will they look back on that and kind of be like oh could we have like avoided a bit of animosity at the end of the game yeah but like in the grand scheme of things i don't think the players on the canadian team were particularly offended by it i don't think the uh, american players brought it onto the ice in an attempt to um as i've said several times already like pour further salt into the wound of an already disappointed canadian side I think it was just I was just so surprised to wake up this morning and check Twitter and see people cancelling a barrel. I I just thought that was <laughs> fascinating. Um but yeah, it's it's just one of those things that it's like, yeah, I mean, in the heat like in the kind of emotion of the moment, they obviously wanted to kind of round off the experience if they'd done it with every single other team that they'd beaten so far in the tournament. It's kind of like finishing the tradition because they'd managed to win the gold medal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, can understand yeah, why, makes sense. Yeah, I can understand why some Canadian fans would have been upset by it or uh, at the very least confused by the whole situation. Because, in their defense, bringing one of those like equipment containers or barrels onto the ice to take a picture with it isn't a normal thing that happens in hockey games. Like, whether, I think that's the thing. I think yeah. because. Because it was
1: an American team thing and it was something that the coach had told them in the locker room, nobody outside that locker room understood at the time what the meaning was. Yeah, but I think now they do, it will all just blow by, to be honest.
0: And and that's kind of what the uh, head coach um, uh, alluded to during the competition uh, in the pr- uh, post-game press conference, because one of the reporters or one of the media members asked him about it to kind of explain it to give everybody the context he said well i'm I'm sure that other teams in the tournament had different things that they rallied behind or had different slogans or messages like they always do you you see it in like every team's locker room in, in the nhl they have like a certain slogan every year uh or they have like yeah. a certain slogan that they've had for their team for decades it's kind of their mantra or something so yeah like I, I feel like at the end of the day like you say in a couple of days everyone will have completely forgotten about this and they won't care about it and you know it'll be like a Compared to, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, somebody throwing their silver medal into the the crowd or yelling obscenities to USA fans in attendance because they're having a bit of a temper tantrum, like, compared to that, this is incredibly tame and far less interesting and far less to read into, to be perfectly honest. So I feel like just... You just kind of leave it at that, really. It's 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 a funny story though, and and I and like you mentioned, I, I do find it interesting, kind of going delving deeper into the the context of why they were so interested in having the barrels around them, and kind of the story behind it, which is very fascinating. But at the same time, it's like, guys, it's a barrel. Should they have done it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Is it really that big of a deal? No, it's not. Let's be perfectly honest, guys. Um, but other than that, Chris, I feel like this is a good place to end today's episode of the europuck podcast yeah i think it's uh it's a good place to finish and just finish up with congratulations team usa really absolutely i mean congratulations to usa for the gold canada for the silver finland for the bronze i mean uh i i'm going back to my predictions a couple of weeks ago i had canada winning uh gold russia winning silver and sweden winning bronze so i managed to get one team right in terms of who got a medal but not the right one so my prediction wasn't necessarily very good but um it was a fun tournament i wish it would have been yeah. a more europe friendly time to watch because i definitely would have watched more games if they were started slightly earlier in the day however it is what it is and in terms of kind of next week onwards we're going to be going back to our usual programming ladies and gents we thought it would be fun to kind of reintroduce the podcast back after a couple of weeks hiatus by, you know, looking at the the tournament as a whole. Obviously, we have a big European connection. There's a lot of European teams taking part in the tournament. Um, yeah, it was the North Americans that kind of stole the show, and I don't think anybody's particularly surprised about that. But it was worth mentioning, nonetheless, and kind of talking about and kind of giving our thoughts on it. Um, we're hoping to have a few guests as 2021, you know, kicks off and we're kind of getting underway. Uh, we're going to keep seeing how things go week by week we'll either be doing the usual kind of looking at scores stats news and everything like that or bringing on special guests whether it be from the uk hockey world or elsewhere in europe um and hopefully you guys will stick around for the next few months and enjoy the hockey content that we provide you until the season is over yeah and i mean uh, of course we're getting into the the business end now of, mm. of some of the
1: leagues particularly in the uh in the KHL as well, so we're going to be starting to look at run-ins starting in the playoffs and yeah, getting to the the very exciting point of hockey. But yeah, I kind of find it quite incredible that we're like halfway through the season and we've done so many of these already. But, yeah. Um, the, yeah, getting down to the to the business end, and hopefully we can have a good second half to the season. We'll have some good guests and. Uh, yeah, see uh, who takes the, the various trophies. Does anyone go
0: on a St. Louis Blues run in the second <laughs> half of the season? I mean, speaking of the St. Louis Blues... In d- maybe the dance Squill. End- maybe. Maybe. You never know. But, like, the interesting thing is, just before we finish up, like, you mentioned how we're halfway through the season. The NHL season hasn't even begun yet. Like how crazy is that? Oh, like, I know. I know. We've, we've done like three months worth of uh, three, three and a half months worth of podcasts here and the NHL, which we are not. everybody else on the network. Is yeah. Just like, everybody else on the network has been kind of clutching at straws. or talking about like f- fumbling their thumbs together and being like, Oh, I, I don't know. Um, but like, we've just been here talking about lots of European hockey. So expect more of the same. Hopefully you enjoy that. Otherwise you wouldn't be listening to us. Um, and yeah uh, I think that's a really good place to end today's uh, episode of the Europuck Podcast so thank you very much everyone for tuning in hope you enjoyed the show whether you're watching us on YouTube the video version or whether it's the audio version on Spotify Apple various other places Uh, if you want to keep updated on all things Europuck Podcast or send us your thoughts opinions or questions either from today's show or for our next show next week you can follow us on Twitter at Europuck Podcast it's right down there or on Instagram we're not as active on Instagram but we are still on there and do post things occasionally so uh europuck podcast uh basically the same as our twitter handle and if you enjoyed listening to either or both of your hosts today if you enjoyed my little story time if you enjoyed chris's great stats that make me sound a lot better and kind of reinforce my points and make me look (laughs) really good it is what i'm here for absolutely uh then you can follow myself on twitter at oddmanrushyt or chris at chris underscore gadsby but thanks again for listening guys and we'll see you again next week have a good one folks